0: You may be seated. I welcome you to Macedonia United Methodist Church. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here. It's a joy to welcome you on this almost last Sunday of what we call ordinary time in the life of the church. You'll see on your bulletin that we've been tracking, and it's the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, It's a long time in a green season in life of the church. Um, Next week, we prepare for Christ the King Sunday, which is the final Sunday in the church year, uh, and, then, and then we'll begin in Advent in earnest on December 1st, which is uh, the beginning of the church year. So um, anyway, for those of you who are not liturgical nerds like myself, you maybe just learned something. Um, so anyway, we start the new year on December 1st, uh, this year, uh, because that's the first Sunday of Advent. So, um, so you'll see colors change up here in the, in the coming weeks. This morning, uh, our scripture comes from the book of Isaiah, the 65th chapter of Isaiah. Um, And this is so the second to last chapter in the book of Isaiah, often considered um, Isaiah 40 through 66 are the chapters of hope in the book of Isaiah. So I invite you to hear these words starting in verse 17. Look, I'm creating a new heaven. And a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. Because I'm creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. No more will babies live only a few days, or the old fail to live out their days. The one who dies at a hundred will be like a young person, and the one falling short of a hundred will seem cursed. They They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in, nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. They won't labor in vain nor bear children to a world of horrors, because they will be people blessed by the Lord, they along with their descendants. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Wolf and lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy at any place on my holy mountain says the Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this week was scary. On Tuesday morning, my wife, Laura, was on her way to a meeting. It was very rainy on Tuesday, and Laura missed the beginning of a turn, and next thing she knew, her car was veering off the road, hydroplaning, and ran into a telephone pole. She called, and I heard her voice saying that she was okay. I drove over as fast as I could from Cary to Apex, terrified when I drove up and saw the pole on top of our little blue Prius. Front end smashed, airbags deployed, Back bumper falling off. Thank God Laura is okay. The kids weren't in the car. No one else was involved in the accident. But it's been hard all week to not play the what-if game. Y'all have played the what-if game before. What if that pole hadn't buckled? What if our car hadn't held up to its safety ratings? Kind of just like we did when her heart rate dropped during the delivery of our first child. We were square in the face with mortality once again. I guess we're about the age to start facing our own mortality more realistically. We're in our mid-30s, no longer convinced that we are completely invincible, and we have little ones whom we want to build a bubble around and make sure that nothing bad ever happens to them. And those of you older than me would tell me that progressing through life as an adult involves just getting more and more comfortable with the idea that you will one day die. This feels like an Ash Wednesday sermon. I get it. But I cannot read the Bible this week without thinking of our scare this week. The world we live in and inhabit is full of pain and death. The world that Isaiah was writing to 2,500 years ago was full of pain and death. Isaiah is prophesying as Israel is being taken captive by Babylon and into exile. The world that Isaiah saw And the reality for God's people was this one. Isaiah 1 begins with this. Hear, you heavens, and listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children. This is God speaking. I reared children. I raised them, and they turned against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel doesn't know. My people don't behave intelligently. Doom, sinful nation. People weighed down with crimes. Evil-doing offspring, corrupt children, they have abandoned the Lord, despised the Holy One of Israel, they turn their backs on God. Why do you invite further beatings? Why continue to rebel? Everyone's head throbs, and everyone's heart fails. From head to toe, none are well. Only bruises, cuts and raw wounds. Not treated, not bandaged, not soothed with oil. Your country is deserted, your city's burned with fire. Your land, strangers are devouring it in plain sight. It's a wasteland, as when foreigners raid. So Isaiah was sent to help the people understand why they were experiencing defeat and exile. The prophets were around to help people see the world theologically through God's eyes. In almost every case in the Old Testament, the people experience punishment, and Israel loses a battle or land, or an entire generation because they worship idols instead of God, right? It is often a problem of priorities and of wrong worship. They won't labor in vain, Isaiah 65 says, nor bear children to a world of horrors. That's the promise of Isaiah 65. I think there are days where we feel like we are bringing children into a world of horrors, We've advanced so far technologically as a people, and with every advancement, we have figured out new and better ways to hurt one another. From the invention of gunpowder that explodes, to the ability of moving vehicles to crash, to the addictions started by things people are prescribed, to the active shooter drills my kindergartner has to perform, to the depression and isolation people can experience through online networking, it seems like a world of horrors. And we're not even talking about political discourse. I saw a huge argument break out this week between two parents in line at a crowded book fair in my daughter's elementary school, one eventually accusing the other of who they voted for because that was relevant in the situation of waiting in line. We have many ways of coping with this reality of a world of horrors. Here in the United States, we do it by ignoring and turning a blind eye. We have a couple of favorite ways to do this. I grew up in the Chicago area. Most of my friends looked like me, and it was a happy existence. Reading a book this week, I heard about this parade that happens in Chicago every year called the Bud Billiken Parade. I remember this parade being advertised on local television when there was such a thing, and they would air it, and I would have no clue what it was. I figured it was just a downtown Chicago thing. After research this week, I learned that this parade has been happening since 1929, 1929 in Chicago, and that this fictional character named Bud Billiken was a mascot used by a black Chicago newspaper to encourage children's empowerment and education. Every year in August, this parade celebrated African-American heritage as it marched along Martin Luther King Drive on the south side of Chicago. My family did not know about this parade. We didn't celebrate. We simply turned a blind eye to the realities 30 miles from our house. Another way we turn a blind eye to the world of horrors is by distraction. This week, especially if you're my age, with young children, it was striking how many people were excited about the launch of a streaming service called Disney+. Plus. Is it cool? Yes. To have a whole bunch of Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars movies at your fingertips for a pretty low price is cool. But it's just entertainment. Honestly, so are the sports that I love to follow and watch. We build these massive complexes for sports and pay exorbitant amounts of money to people who are playing a game. I love the entertainment, but it's really just entertainment. We turn a blind eye by ignorance. We don't look at the world section of the paper that's buried on page 27 or listen to the world news once its part starts on the radio. Realistically, we say we can't solve all the world's problems, so sometimes we just ignore them. We know there will always be problems in the Middle East, so we can't pay any more attention to it. Try as we might, whatever tools we use for distraction and ignorance just don't work. Even church doesn't really work at doing it. We want church to give us a happy feeling, don't we? We want church to tell us what to do to make the world a better place. We want to build up the kingdom and have a part in being part of the solution, not the problem. Churches can distract us for a time. Some churches will just ignore the issues going on in our world, helping you focus on you and Jesus, which works for a while, until you're tired of living with your head in the sand. Other churches tell you that we're fixing the brokenness of our world, and that if we all do it, then the United Nations development goals will all be reached. This inspires us for a while. Until the problems are so big and hairy and hard to tackle. And then we have all of our personal weights and brokenness that we carry. And we cannot handle the brokenness of the world. We cannot bear the weight of the fallenness of it all. Isaiah has a reason for prophesying these words today. It's because people are in pain and hurting. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again, he says. No more will babies live Only a few days or the old fail to live out their days. For anyone who knows the intimate pain of losing a child, whether in miscarriage or to a disease or to an accident, it is all difficult to make sense of. It is not the way that the world should be. And what Isaiah foretells is a new creation where the past destruction and brokenness will no longer be a way of life. So what has no place in this new creation? First, weeping and crying. We hear these words echoed again later in Revelation 21, where death, mourning, and pain will be no more. What has no place in this new creation? Death. Laura's accident this week scared me to death, or, or at least scared me about death. I am with people in times of death often, but their pain It's not my pain. I am sad with them, but I cannot take on their sadness and grief. The reason why we grieve and why all loss of people is sad, regardless of age, is because that's not how God wants things to be. What has no place in this new creation? Slavery and toiling for others. Listen to these words. He says, They will build houses and live in them, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in, nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. It's not that there won't be work in the new creation. It is just that all work will be fulfilling. It will have a purpose and an intention. In our world's disjointed economy, so many people find themselves working for the man. This way of existence is tiresome at best and impossible to stay motivated for. What has no place in the new creation? A world of horrors. We hear that promise of verse 25 once again. Wolf and lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy at any place on my holy mountain, says the Lord a promise of peace, a new relationship between former enemies. The ones who were once predators will become peaceful friends with the prey. Friends, what we are talking about in this new creation story is redemption. For in the story that the Bible tells about the world, we are not currently living in a, quote, better world. Sure, we have some helpful technological advances compared to Isaiah's time. People don't die of simple diseases like they once did. We don't have to dig a hole to use the toilet. But the brokenness of our world, that's described perfectly, perfectly well in Genesis 3. Right? God says to the woman, I will make your pregnancy very painful. In pain you will bear children. You will desire your husband, but he will rule over you. To the man he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and you ate from the tree that I commanded, don't eat from it. Cursed is the fertile land because of you. In pain you will eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you even as you eat the field's plants. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land, since from it you were taken. You are soil, and to the soil you will return. Friends, God created the world good. We don't know how long that goodness lasted, but it was soon ruptured. And the only way that God can redeem this goodness, the only way that God can fix it, is to start from the beginning. Since that moment in the garden, humans' toil and work has really been against death. We try to avoid it, we try to push it off, we try to beat it, but we cannot. Fallen creation is a world of mortality. But Isaiah's words of God's new creation have been fulfilled in Jesus. The good news is that death could not hold Jesus. Easter is the breaking of the curse of sin and death upon humanity, which sounds great, but here we are, well after that first Easter, and we're still going to die. And the hope of the Christian life is that new creation is already springing up in our midst, and Jesus will come one day and make it all new and perfect. Friends, we are part of this new creation already. Paul writes, So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. Friends, God is in the business of making the world new. The reason why we can go about kingdom work and even bother following Jesus is because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. At our best, Christians vehemently believe in the fallenness of our world. It does not take much to see this brokenness all around us, and especially it hits us if we look in the mirror and inside of ourselves. And if we are truly living in the way of Jesus, we can also sing along with Isaiah this redemption song. We are saying that God's story in the world doesn't end with Genesis 3 and the curse of the fall, but it ends with a new heaven and a new earth. Our relationship with God will be perfect and unified. Hear how God describes that relationship in Isaiah 65. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. The brokenness and the loss of relationship experienced by humanity and God will be redeemed and made perfect. All will be well. Won't you help me sing these songs of freedom, Bob Marley sang. Because all I ever have is redemption songs. We are a people singing redemption songs. We are messengers of good news in the face of all sorts of bad news. That's what church is. That's what Christians do When we gather, it is a lot more than avoidance of the world's problems for an hour. It's a lot deeper than just trying to fix the world's problems ourselves. What we are doing is proclaiming hope in the face of the brokenness that we see all around us. What we are doing is saying that the risen body and poured out blood of Jesus ushers in and brings in this new creation. What we are doing is embodying how someone could truly live in a world that is full of sin and decay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.